Jonah chapter 4 is on page 1443 of the Black Church Bibles. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I was dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Thanks, Jamie. You'll see on the screen behind me um, the title for our talk today, plus you'll see my phone number there. The phone number is, if you have questions uh, and you'd like to ask them, please text those questions into that phone number a little bit later on in the service. I'll have an opportunity to try and provide an answer for those questions Well, over summer, as I've said already this morning, we've been working our way through the book of Jonah. I've got to say, I've really, really enjoyed looking at this little story together. I found it to be really a captivating message. And it seems, to me at least, that the story is as applicable for us today as it was for the original readers. Many of us will know the story of Jonah really well. At least we we know the first bit really well. Um, but given this is our last week in the series and given that many people have been away on holidays, I just want to remind you very quickly about some of the things we've learned about Jonah. It starts with Jonah hearing a message from God to go and preach against the Ninevites. And you probably know this bit. What does Jonah do? Well, he runs. He runs away. He runs in the opposite direction. He runs not to Nineveh, but to Tarshish. And I've just got a map on the screen behind me because... Um, you know, we don't know these parts of the world very well. Um, I want you to see, he kind of starts in, in Joppa, near where Israel is there. And he's supposed to be going to Nineveh, kind of on the right up there. And instead he runs to Tarshish. It's the opposite direction. You might wonder why he runs. Now, as we read the book from the start, I think in chapter 1, at least, the feeling is that he's scared. The Ninevites are known to be evil and violent. And prophets are very rarely listened to, and they're not treated very well, even in their own hometowns. And so Jonah runs. He runs from God. But of course, you can't run from God, can you? 
And God sends a storm while Jonah's on a boat and the sailors on the ship on which Jonah's running, they throw him overboard. And and when we get to that bit in the story that we all know so well, God sends a fish and the fish swallows Jonah and three days later it vomits him up onto the beach. It's a great story, isn't it? It really is. I think if you ask most people, what is Jonah about? They'd say, runs from God, swallowed by a fish. That's what Jonah's about. But last week I wanted to show you that this book is is so much more than just a story about getting swallowed by a fish. This is a book that shows us that God wants our hearts. We saw last week, I think, the much more amazing bit in the story than just being swallowed by a fish. We saw the great city of Nineveh, a city full of violent and evil people, listen to Jonah, listen to God, and repent. And last week I told you the message of chapter 3 was that God wants our hearts. That is that he wants us to turn to him and to live for him. Last week we saw the king of Nineveh get down off his, ro- off his throne and, and take off his royal robes and sit in the dust. And you know, I think that's instructive for us today, isn't it? Have we given our lives over to God? You see, I think... Our tendency as humans and sinful people is is to think that we are the ones who are in charge, that we're in control of the lives that we live, that we rule. And so for us, repentance means submitting to the Lordship of Jesus. Saying, Jesus, you're my king. I'll follow you. I'll walk with you. I'll live for you. I'll live like you. That was chapter 3. In chapter 4, which is where we get to today, we see that it's not just our hearts that God wants. We see that God wants the whole world to turn to him and repent. So in chapter 4, we see that God doesn't just care about Israel, he also has concern for Nineveh. I think by extension then, we see that God cares for people all across the world. In chapter 4, we see God's character of compassion and mercy and grace and it's not just exhibited towards Jonah or even towards Israel you see in chapter 4 God is concerned with Nineveh I think that means he's concerned for the world and so chapter 4 it gives us this great insight into God's heart for mission As Jamie read it, I wonder if you noticed that chapter 4 ends in a bit of a strange way. It's kind of like an open question. As we read it today, I think that open question is directed straight towards us as readers. It's asking us, will we share God's heart? Will we have compassion towards others? Will we share God's concern for those who don't yet know him? Will you let your heart be shaped to care about the things that God cares about? Will you have love for your neighbours? Will you have love for your enemies? That's where we're going today as we look through chapter 4. As we get into it, let me just remind you where chapter 3 ended up. We saw in chapter 3 the ending was really positive. Chapter 3 verse 10, if you've got your Bibles open, just have a look at chapter 3 verse 10. It says this, When God saw what they did, that's the Ninevites, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. I said, that's incredible, isn't it? Remarkable. Nineveh repents and and God doesn't bring destruction. 
And then chapter 4, the story turns back to Jonah. He's been missing for the last few verses. And we find Jonah having a full-on sulk session. I don't know if you're prone to a sulk session, but I get the picture of Jonah here with crocodile tears and a, a sniffly nose. There's been a bit of foot stamping, a bit of reserve yelling and some passive-aggressive comments, those sorts of things. Yeah, that's not in the text. That's just personal experience speaking, right? Now, let me read to you just the first few lines. This is what it says. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. The first thing you notice is that this seems to be the opposite response to what you might have been expecting from Jonah. His preaching mission has been a roaring success. Everyone has listened. For a prophet, that's unheard of. I love the way that Tim Keller puts this. He says, would an artist be angry when a prominent museum accepts their art for installation? Or do musicians get angry when the audience gives them a standing ovation? Of course not. Jonah's just preached to the toughest audience in his life and every last one of them has responded positively. So why is he so angry? The answer's there for us in verse 2, isn't it? And we see it in the prayer that Jonah prays. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to this. That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. See, in Jonah's prayer, we see what's been going on in his mind. And in this verse, verse two of chapter four, I think it shapes our whole reading of the whole book of Jonah because it gives us an insight into what was going on in Jonah's mind right at the very start of the story. And it makes a difference to the way that we read this story. It's like a twist. You might have seen a movie over summer, Boxing Day is a famous day for going to see movies. Often good movies are made better by a twist at the end. And, and here's the twist in the book of Jonah. Jonah has known all along that this might happen, that the Ninevites might repent and that God might relent. He's known all along because he knows what God is like. See, verse 2 of chapter 4 shows us why he ran to Tarshish. He wasn't scared of the Ninevites. He was worried about God. Worried that God might act according to his character. That he'd have compassion. Let me read on. This is what it says in Jonah. I knew, Jonah speaking in his prayer, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I don't know about you, but when I read these words, I kind of get that sort of fluttering feeling because I'm reminded here so clearly of the grace and the compassion and just the abounding love of God. We have a great God. Jonah's probably quoting from Exodus 34. I say probably because this phrase about what God's like comes up a number of times in the Old Testament. But in Exodus 34, God is using these words to describe himself. I'd love you to come back in the Bibles with me to the book of Exodus chapter 34. It's early on in your Bibles, page 140. And as, as you're turning there, Exodus 34 on page 140. So let me explain where we are in the story of the Bible. This is back in the time of Moses. Remember, Moses was the person who led the Israelites out of Egypt through the sea. Not long after that, the Israelites had rebelled. They'd made a golden calf, bowed down and worshipped it. 
And Moses had come down from the mountain at this point where he'd been getting the Ten Commandments written on stone tablets and he saw them worshipping this golden calf and he was angry and threw the stone tablets onto the ground and destroyed them. And now he's gone back up the mountain a second time and in verse 5 of Exodus 34 we read this. Verse 5 of chapter 34. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. This is what God is like. If you're here today because you wanted to get to know God, I'd love you to keep reading these verses in Exodus. Make a little note and come back and read the story of Moses in Exodus. Because here we see God speaking about himself and he says he's compassionate and gracious and abounding in love. I think so often we get a picture of God as a, a crotchety old man who just wants to pounce on our every mistake. A God who sets up these rules that take the fun and pleasure out of life. That's how God's presented by our culture, isn't it? But here we see God speaking about himself and describing himself as compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. He's able to forgive Israel. He's able to have compassion on Nineveh evil and violent though they were. And today as we read these words, here's what I want you to remember. Here's what I want you to take away. If God could forgive Nineveh, he can forgive you also. If God can forgive Nineveh, he can forgive you also. I know some of you quite well. Some of you I don't know that well at all. But I suspect that some of you have aspects of your character or actions in your past that you feel guilty about. You might feel a sense of shame about them. I want you to see that God he is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love if he can forgive Nineveh, if he can forgive Jonah. He can forgive you also. And yet, this frustrates Jonah. He's so angry with God that he, he cries out to God, take my life. Verse 3 at the end of Jonah chapter 4, he says this, Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Now, he's really sulking, isn't he? But we don't need to remember at this point that Assyria, the nation of which Nineveh is a part, they are the fierce enemies of Israel. Now, we live in Australia, um, and, and I think that means that few of us know what it feels like to have fierce enemies. It's a great part of living in Australia, something that we can celebrate today on Australia Day, the peace that we enjoy as a company, as a country. But even though few of us have enemies like Nineveh today, don't have enemies like Nineveh today, I think we do kind of understand where Jonah's is coming from because we all do have a sense of justice. Sure, we all want to be forgiven. We all want to get off the hook. But we also want the really bad people in the world to suffer the full consequences of the law. We want justice. That's right and proper, isn't it? Jonah wants justice for Nineveh. 
want to remind you this morning that justice, though, is also part of the character of God. If you've um, still got your Bibles open to Exodus 34, if you haven't, I'd love you to turn back there, Exodus 34 on page 140, because I want to keep reading where I left off before. It goes on to say this, speaking about God. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. See, we have to be careful not to have God off balance like Jonah has here. Jonah's only reflecting one aspect of what God's character is like. He's forgetting that God is a God of justice. And that's cutting him up. Again, Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, Jonah is stuck in a theological quandary about God's mercy and grace and his justice. And it's a quandary that we've been looking at as a church over the last few months as we've worked our way through the book of Romans. I reckon Jonah would do so well to read the book of Romans. Of course, it wasn't written when he was around. But, But Romans sets out so clearly... The character of God. So clearly, our own state, it says that we are all condemned, that we're all deserving of God's wrath. And yet Romans also presents the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God, but it does so showing us how God's justice is also maintained. It tells us that justice comes through the sacrificial, atoning death of God's son, Jesus. Sin is not left unpunished by God. It's dealt with on the cross. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 3. I know we've looked at this a lot as a church over the past six months or so, but it is such a great verse. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. I want you to see this morning, God is a God of compassion and mercy and forgiveness and justice. For God, that justice cost him his son. This morning, I wonder if you've ever held back from inviting someone to a talk about Jesus or held back from inviting someone to visit you at church Because you don't really want them to hear the gospel and turn and be saved. That's kind of importing Jonah's attitude from his time into our modern world, isn't it? I'm sure that some of us might have thought that at least once in our lifetime. And perhaps that's something that we today need to repent from. But you know what I think our problem is more likely to be? It's not that we decide someone's not worthy of hearing about God's grace. Our problem today is more likely that we've stopped remembering, stopped believing that God really is compassionate and gracious. I think we're more likely to think that God won't really forgive my friend. I think that means that we're less likely to tell people about Jesus because we just think, oh, God's never going to save them, so why bother my friend? I'm not going to invite Jimmy to my Introducing Jesus course Because he's about as far from God as he can get and God won't save him. And so we sulk more likely over the thought that God is simply not powerful enough or not active enough in this world to be at work in our friends' lives. 
wonder if that resonates with you. If it does, I want you to look with me at verses 4 to 9. Because in verses 4 to 9 of Jonah chapter 4, we see the sovereignty of God at work. It's the story of the vine that we saw in our kids' talk. We see Jonah giving, God giving Jonah a couple of lessons here. Let me read to you these verses. It says this, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. In verse 5, we see Jonah stayed to watch over the city. Why do you think he stayed to watch over the city? His work as a prophet is now finished. He's given the message that God wanted him to give. He could have kind of made tracks back to Israel. But instead, he stays in the place that he was so reluctant to go to in the first place. What do you think's going on? I reckon Jonah is waiting hoping that the Ninevites might quickly turn back to their evil ways. I think he's waiting, hoping that God will bring the destruction that Jonah thinks they need. And so he makes this makeshift shelter and kind of sits down and waits to see what's going to happen. And God's lesson starts. God causes this vine to grow up over Jonah and it provides shade and comfort. And finally, in the first time in the whole book, I think, we see something that makes Jonah happy. He's resting in the shade, waiting for Nineveh to fail and for God to smite them. But the next day, God in his sovereignty again sends a worm that chews the plant and causes it to wither. And Jonah's no longer protected by shade. And then God again in his sovereignty sends a a fierce hot wind and a, a hot sun to beat down on Jonah. And he's back in his old place. He wants to die. And he's angry with God again. And God uses this little lesson with the plant to show Jonah two things. The first lesson is, I think, that God wants Jonah to remember that he is in control, that he is sovereign. God is the one who caused the plant to grow up. God is the one who caused it to wither. God is the one who sends the hot, fierce wind and the fierce heat. He's God and Jonah is just a creature. It's not the creature's job to determine who God saves and who God doesn't that's God's prerogative God's role after all it's God who says I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion God is the one in control and you know I need to learn this lesson myself it's something I need to keep coming back to wonder if you need to know that lesson as well now for me as a younger adult and as a teenager I remember describing myself as someone who just cruised through life no tremendous high points no tremendous lows just an even keel but as I've got older my tendency has been to worry more and to ease the worry I try and fix things and if I dig down further into what I'm trying to do really I'm just trying to find security and certainty Jonah's plan has been a great reminder to me also that God is in control that he is sovereign Sure, we all have responsibilities in life, things that we must do, but ultimately security is found in God because he's sovereign and in control. It's the first lesson. The second lesson, I think, is about one of compassion and care and love for people. See, God is showing Jonah that he's being selfish and self-centered and nationalistic and arrogant and unloving. You care about a plant, God says. You didn't plant it. You didn't sow it. But Nineveh is a city of 120,000 people. And you don't care about those people. 
And if you don't care about the people, then maybe you could at least spare a thought for the cows. On Australia Day, we should give thanks to God for this country that we live in. I think it's appropriate. We should rejoice in the many good things that make Australia what it is. But we also need to remember that God wants all people to know him. He's concerned about the country of Australia. He wants Australians to turn back to him and to live for him. But God also wants New Zealanders and those in Indonesia and China and Italy and Japan and France or actually maybe not the French. That's just a joke. God wants all people to turn back to him because he's compassionate and gracious and loving. So I think it's interesting also here that God adds about the people of Nineveh, they don't know their right hand from their left. Tim Keller again says this, it's not about absolving them of blame. They're still guilty, they still face judgment, but God is here recognising their predicament. They don't know their right hand from their left. It's a great, compassionate position. And then the book ends. And I wonder if you're like me, just kind of wondering, what did Jonah actually do? I think that's what the author wants us to think through. What did Jonah do? Did he learn the lessons that God's teaching him? And as we think through that, I think the author wants us to reflect on our own lives. What are our hearts like? Are we following after God? In many ways, things are different today than they were for Jonah, aren't they? Jonah knew God. I want to suggest to you that we today, we can know God so much better because we can look at the person of Jesus in flesh and we can know what God is like. I love the letter to the Colossian church. I read a little bit of it to you early at the start of the service. I love the way in which the letter to the Colossian church presents the majesty and the glory of Jesus and also shows his divinity. But I also love this phrase in chapter 2 verse 6 where it says, continue to live your lives in Jesus. Or put another way, walk in Jesus. Follow after him. Become like him. As we've worked our way through the book of Jonah, and we've seen the compassion and the mercy and the grace of God, I want to suggest to you this morning that Jesus is also characterized by this same grace and compassion. What do you ever thought? Did Jesus ever have emotions? If Jesus had emotions, what emotion do you think he showed most often? Maybe anger, you know, he threw the, table temp- the tables over in the temples, the money-changing tables. Well, there's a popular essay written a long time now ago that suggests that emotion that characterizes Jesus most clearly is that of compassion. That was his dominant emotion. So in Matthew chapter 9, when looking at the crowds without a shepherd, Jesus has compassion on the people. And when riding into Jerusalem, he weeps for it in Luke. Jesus seemed distressed by people who had physical ailments, and he seemed deeply distressed by the sin in people. We read in the gospel accounts about Jesus' life and we see him as a man of compassion. And so my hope and my desire for us as a church in 2020 is that we would grow to be people who are more and more like Jesus. I'm hoping from our little look into the book of Jonah that we'd see God's heart of compassion and that we'd see the compassion that Jesus exhibits. I wonder then, do you see those in the schoolyard or those in the workplace or those in the local cafe as people who need a shepherd? I hope this year can be a year of compassion and grace for us 
as we seek to make and grow disciples of Jesus. See, God wants our hearts. He wants to shape our hearts to be like his. He wants us to share his concerns. He wants us to be compassionate and gracious. That's what Jesus was like. And that's what we're called to be like as well. Let me pray for us. Father God, we give you great thanks for this story about Jonah. The story that reminds us of what you are like as a God and what you would like from us as your people. We pray that you would give us hearts of compassion and give us hearts that seek to be more like your son. We ask this in the power of your son's name. Amen.